You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Don't be rude. Patriots, assemble. We don't mess around. We don't waste time. Over here at His Hard Line. Let's go. from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. 
Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge. He is in the captain's chair. He's at the helm behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life. So welcome to his hard line. So today is Wednesday. December 13, 2023, and you are listening to episode 650, and we'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 8, and today's show, second half, is called The Missing 13th Amendment, No Lawyers Allowed, Part 2. So we'll be continuing doing a reading out of the Millennium Report. Daily Disclaimer. Please be advised that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer, and I don't possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice. And while I am a member of the Michigan General Journal Assembly in good lawful standing, I am not the official face or voice of the National State or County Assembly. I do not endorse or advocate for violence. And please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational and entertainment purposes only unless otherwise referenced. So there you all go. <clears throat> so... I want to thank you for joining us today on today's broadcast. And if you find this broadcast gives you extreme value and you take away solid information and positive messages, hit that subscribe button, share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. Do me that solid favor. I really appreciate that. And while you're at it, go and find us on the social media like YouTube, Telegram, True Social, and other platforms like that. You can find all that on hisheartline.com. That's www.hisheartline.com. And if you find more information about the National Assembly, you can go to national-assembly.net. That's right. All right. So I hope everybody's having a good day so far today. I know I am. And um, so I want to start off by playing a clip. So everybody's making a big fuss about this movie that's on Netflix, Leaving the World Behind. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. I don't have Netflix, so I have not seen it. Uh, makes me want to kind of, you know, download it and you know subscribe to it for the free week that you know netflix typically lets you have before you start paying um but it's called leaving the world behind there's a lot of people online that are talking about it they're making a big fuss about it. i guess the movie was uh produced or co-produced i'm not exactly the exact involvement but by uh barack and michael obama um, because I don't know if you know this, but, uh, Barack Obama, I believe has some sort of stake or ownership in Netflix. That's one of the biggest reasons why I refuse to give that, uh, company any money from my wallets. Um, I will stick with pure Flix. It's a Christian, um, platform. So I will stick with pure Flix. but, uh, yeah. So everybody's making a big fuss about this movie though. <clears throat> and people are saying that everything that you're seeing in that movie is exactly playing out today meaning like the cyber attack stuff let me just get right into it i'll just find i'm gonna get the trailer it's about the uh, two two out uh, two minutes and 21 seconds give this trailer a listen to i went online this morning and i rented us a beautiful house out by the beach i figured if i made the reservation and packed our bags it would eliminate most of the reasons to say no Oh, this is nice. Kids look so happy. The Wi-Fi isn't working. Get a pad. I'm so sorry to bother you that this is our house. This is your house? 
we're driving back to the city. Then something happened. You want to stay here, but we're staying here. We need to get them out of here. I need to think everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay, isn't it? We are seeing ongoing cyber attacks across the country. Something is happening, and I don't trust them. Everything I know, I have told you. I don't believe you. I would do anything to protect my family. What you do is your business. Get in the car right now! Haven't you been picking up on what's going on out there? Whatever it is, it's happening to all of us. I just want to know... What is the truth? Yeah, it's called Leave the World Behind. That was the official trailer. Now, I want to play this other audio clip. Now, this is actually from the news. This kind of happened over the last couple of days. Uh, give this a listen to these next couple clips. So there was some breaking news today, in case you haven't heard yet. But if you question what I'm talking about in this little video, you can go to Fox or Daily Mail or the Washington Post, and they could uh, verify what I'm about to tell you. But Chinese-affiliated hackers hacked into 24 U.S. infrastructures or attempted to across the United States of America. Hawaii, they hacked into a water facility and one gas and oil pipeline. On the west coast of the United States, they hacked into a shipping port along the west coast, and they tried to hack into the Texas power grid, which is different than the U.S. power grid. I guess they thought it was easier to hack into the Texas power grid. They didn't get into that. Now, don't you find it ironic that three days ago on Netflix, a movie came out that was executive produced by Barack and Michelle Michael Obama talking about how the world, or America rather, is going to end either by hacking, uh, cyber attacks, blackouts, individuals from other countries uh, attacking us or us being attacked from within. Isn't that something? It's called predictive programming. And isn't it something that last week, Ray, the FBI director, said that the terror threat on American soil is at an all-time high, that there's so many red lights blinking, he's never seen anything like it, yet our southern border is allowed to remain wide open, where just this past Tuesday, almost a week ago, 12,000 illegal immigrants crossed our border when there's a terror threat that the FBI director has never seen before this high. 12,000 illegals crossed our border from all over the world. And do you know what they get when they, they come here? And this is a fact. They get a $5,000 gift card. They get two years of free health care. And they get a 
one-way bus ticket to any sanctuary city in the United States. And then when they get to that sanctuary city, they get more free things. So I just want you to take in everything I just said, which is fact. That's right. It is fact. And it is interesting. I mean, (laughs) you know, this is the kind of thing that people have been talking about more and more. I played an audio clip the other day with Candace Owens, and she was talking about how, you know, there was an event just much like we had event 201 back in 2019 at the John Hopkins University, which was sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That was before they divorced, of course. But, um, you know, they had event 201. And what was the event? What was the scenario? What was the training exercise? Well, what would the world do in the event of a pandemic, which happened to be a coronavirus outbreak? But instead of coming out of China, it derived out of South America. But lo and behold, a few months later, my oh my, look what happened and look what ended up transpiring to be a real life event. And then I can't remember what year that this occurred, but then there was another event that uh, took place called Event Polygon. And Event Polygon was an exercise simulation of what would happen in the event of a cyber attack. In the event of our infrastructure going down, what would our country do if our cyber, you know, if our country got cyber attacked? And so, you know, here is another clip I want to play from the actual news, from what he was referencing about these uh, attempted hacks. I don't know if they were successful or not, but, you know, for for simplicity purposes, I'm just going to say attempted hacks. And again, I don't know exactly what they did what the Chinese were able to do, if it was even a real thing. But that guy in that video, see, where he's a little incorrect on, he's talking about being, you know, that they're starting to uh, attack us from within. But what he doesn't realize is America has always been under siege and it's always been under attack from within. And that's why we're reading the missing original 13th Amendment, this Millennium Report, because we've always been under siege and under attack infiltration from within through lawyers and international bankers and this is why the original 13th amendment was so critical because if you were a lawyer or a or an esquire or an international banker if you held basically any title of nobility you were not allowed to hold any office of the united for the united states of america you were to cease your actions as a political servant as a public servant of the united states of america and for the people so if you were a citizen you were to cease your actions because you were now at that point deemed incapable of serving those offices that belong to we the people by the way because yeah like Destry was saying right here in the chat when you swear an allegiance to another country and you hold a title of nobility you are at that point a servant of a foreign power so do you really think that these people who are in dc are really serving we the people with the intent of you know basically um with the intent of really truly serving our best interest and needs absolutely not absolutely not and you wonder why i press so hard on the importance of reassembly you wonder why i sound like a broken record a skipping repeating record join your assembly get involved Find out what's going on in your state and who's involved. Go to the national-assembly.net. Go to the forums. And then when you go to the forums tab, scroll down. Go all the way down till you start seeing list of states. 
starting with like Alabama and Alaska and scroll all the way down till you reach your state, whether if it's Wisconsin or Florida or California, click on that state and then start seeing what chats and forums are opened up there. And that's how you can start getting involved and find out who's involved in your local area and who's involved in your state. That's right. Destry puts right here in the chat. Their oath says it all. The bar comes first, the court comes second, the defendant comes last. Why? Because they make money off of us, the defendant. See, what people don't realize is that the lawyers and the courts have like a marriage of sorts. They are they work with each other. They have a certain relationship that pretty much scratches each other's back. Meanwhile, we're sitting there in the corner while they're making nice little loveys in bed. We're sitting there in the corner watching all this unfold. And we're like, well, wait a minute. This is my house. This is my bed. But these two are in bed together and I'm sitting here and every and those two are using everything in my house. What the hell? That's right. Like George Carlin said, Destry puts it right here in here in the chat. It's one big club and we ain't in it. That's absolutely right. I would play that skip, but man, he drops a lot of F-bombs and I don't feel like censoring that right now. <laughs> but it's it's true. Here's here's cut number three of of the Chinese hackers. Uh, let's see where can I find it. Here it is. Hackers affiliated with China's People's Liberation Army have infiltrated critical services here in the U.S. Alexandra Hoff joins us now from our nation's capital. Alex, this is not good. No, it's not. I mean, this infiltration appears to be part of a broader effort to insert chaos. That cracks me up, Alex. This is not good. <laughs> no kidding. Into our logistical systems, the information collected could then be weaponized if the U.S. and China were to become engaged directly in the Pacific. According to reporting from The Washington Post, citing multiple U.S. and industry security officials, China's cyber army, army is invading critical U.S. services, like an attempt to break into the system behind Texas's independent power grid. Other victims include a water utility in Hawaii, a West Coast port, and at least one oil and gas pipeline, according to that report you're seeing there. Brandon Wells, executive director of the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity Agency told the Washington Post this, quote, it is very clear that Chinese attempts to compromise critical infrastructure are in part to pre-position themselves to be able to disrupt or destroy that critical infrastructure in the event of a conflict to either prevent the United States from being able to project power into Asia or to cause societal chaos inside the United States to affect our decision making around a crisis. The report notes that over the past year, hackers but yeah, yeah, it's exactly it. I mean, they, 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 I don't, again, I don't know the success rate of these Chinese hackers. Destry was saying um, those hack, same hackers have been trying to uh, hack the National Assembly website uh, every hour on the hour for the last two years. And obviously they keep failing because that thing is so locked up and, and fortified. I mean, even sometimes, it, you know, could probably keep Destry out of it. But, um, you know, the thing of the matter is, is that, there's a lot going on, and here's my take. Now, this is my take. Now, remember, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, this, this is for educational and entertainment purposes, and these are some of my opinions that I'm espousing here, okay? This is not to be taken as fact right now. So what I think is kind of happening, if, if you're going to ask, and what I think is occurring here, is because there is a buildup happening. Obviously, we're seeing hyperinflation. We're seeing so much craziness in the economic, you know, in our economic climate. And 
the cost of things still keep going up. Meanwhile, the, 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 the rate of pay still remains stagnant. I'm seeing a lot of people living out of campers at rest areas, living out of their cars. I'm seeing more people, believe it or not, um, as I more, and you see this more in the country, not so much in urban settings, settings like, uh, HOAs, but I'm seeing more people that live, you know, that have houses out in the middle of the country. Cause I drive all over Michigan for my job and I'm seeing a, quite a few houses that are tarping up their roofs because people can't even afford to replace their shingles on their roof. So they are fortifying their roof with just tarps. I mean, people are really hurting. Well, if we're ever going to get back to a gold standard and get back to constitutional sound money with proper weights and measures, the system has to come to a screeching halt. It has to come to a crash. This whole economic system, the whole banking system, it needs to fall apart. But see, just like, you know, the good guys need it to fall apart and they're letting the bad guys basically run amok. All right. The bad guys need war. They need a reason to bring down the system. They need a reason to shut the internet off and shut down the banks, but they can't just do it eh, willy nilly. They just decide one day, ah, oh, we're just going to shut the, we're going to flip the switch off. No, they need a buildup for it, which is why I think we're seeing movies like leave the world behind that was put out in Netflix. That's going to, that has garnered so much attention by so many people and, and why we are seeing news reports of Chinese hackers trying to attempt to hack 24 different sites that are critical to the American infrastructure. This is why I think we're starting to see more and more of this. They're trying to build up that narrative. So when that final shoe drops and the internet finally gets the cutoff switch, take, you know, and it take gets taken down. Hence why I keep telling you guys have cash on hand, have precious metals on hand and listen, don't listen to me for the sake of listening to me. Let me just re let me rephrase all this. We at the Jones household take certain preparations. And there's a lot of people I know that take very similar preparations. Again, do what's best for you and your family and your household. But when you can't go to an ATM, and get a couple bucks out, or you can't use that same debit card to go get groceries, you're going to be really in a world of hurt. And you're going to be one of the many millions of Americans that are going to be panicking. And you are going to be crapping a solid brick that you're not even going to know what to do. Have extra food reserves on hand. Make sure you have a generator if power goes out. Well, Jason, I live in an apartment. I can't have a generator. Sure you can. They make apartment-sized generators. Maybe not to the point to where you can power your whole apartment, but where you can actually apply power to specific appliances that are very relevant for your comfort in basic living needs. Okay. Apartment or house or whatever. There's ways around preparing for your own unique particular situation. And yeah, that's the other thing. Like Destry was saying right here, Starlink will be up. That's the, you know, the satellite internet. When all this crap goes down, that's part of uh, the 20th requisition out of the 21 requisition that was put forward. 
All right. Same thing with satellite phones. That's why satellite phones, people are buying satellite phones like nobody's business, because when the power grid goes down, I don't think people realize this. The cell phone towers only have enough battery power to, they only have enough battery power to stay operational for about, I don't know what, a half hour, maybe hour tops before the cell towers go down. And this would make sense as I start seeing more and more solar fields be being built in Michigan, uh, more particularly down there by the I-69 and I-94 intersect corridor there area. There's a big chunk of farmland down there where there's a ton. I did a video on it. It's on my, uh, it's on my TikTok and I think I put it on true solar or uh, telegram, but there's all these uh, solar panels that are being built and installed everywhere. I wonder why that is. You know what my opinion is on that? Because if the power grid does go down or internet, but I think more particularly if the power grid goes down, I think they're going to use those solar panels in the sun to try to power basic things like cell phone towers. Now, I don't know how well that's going to work because when you're in a state like Michigan that doesn't get much sun during the winter, I mean, we're going to be up a creek. And even in the summertime, if it's always overcast, it seems like we don't, we get more overcast days than we do sunny days. So I don't know how good those solar panels are really going to be. So I don't know. But anyway, but at the end of the day, here's what I do know. We don't have solid facts yet. We're just going on speculation. But at the end of the day, here's what you can control. You can control your own household. You can control your own unique circumstance. Okay. There's no sense in worrying about the bigger picture here because we can't control the bigger picture. Now there's another audio I wanted to play. I forgot what this audio was. Let me push play on this for a second. Hold on. Bear with me. I can't remember why I saved this one. Um, wait, uh, one, two, let me see. What is this? Bust. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, here's something else I wanted to play. There is a huge bust that took place. I think it was in Georgia. L give this audio piece a listen to. This is excellent news. And I keep, I love hearing more and more success stories regarding uh, taking down, you know, tr sex trafficking rings and human trafficking rings. Give this a listen to a uh, minute and 50 seconds. Sting bust. 76 people arrested and 34 of them right here in Georgia. Tonight, Natisha Lance tells us how the GBI was able to catch so many men accused of exploiting infants and children. Vinny, you know, as a That's parent, sick. I'm sure you understand this. It is so shocking and disturbing to hear the details of what these people are accused of. These are people who are working with some of our most vulnerable, with our children. What GBI is now saying is that this may just be the beginning of getting rid of this kind of child predator. People who seek to harm our most vulnerable population will not be tolerated. 76 arrests across eight states in two days. One by one, officers rounded them up as part of Operation South Impact 2, a sting operation to bring down people caught with and distributing child pornography. About a third of the arrest happened in Georgia. These are some of the three dozen men arrested across the state. They are school board members, executives, and even a church youth director. Yep. We tried to talk with two of the men named by GBI. Do you know anything about the charges that he's facing? But got rejected. 
<laughs> is this John Garrett's home? Each time. Investigators say they worked for more than four months to snip out the men seeking and distributing some of the most violent child pornography involving infants and toddlers. This whole culture is very much intertwined with child sex trafficking. 13 children were rescued or ID'd as victims during Thank the sting God. that was meant to send a very clear and loud message. We mean business when it comes to these types of these types of crimes against our children. And the main charge most of the suspects are facing is computer or electronic pornography and child exploitation, which if convicted, they sting bust. I tell you what, you for, for you little pedophiles out there, keep in mind, and I hope you don't listen to this show. But if you do, you better get some Jesus in your heart, because I'm going to tell you right now, your sins will be catching up to you and you're going to get knocks on your door by the proper authorities and your you know what's are going to get taken down. I, I can't stand these kinds of people. Sick, sick bastards they are. And I'm going to call it for what it is. Every last one of these scumbag, nasty demons need to get taken out and they need to have a millstone wrapped around their freaking ankles and they need to be dropped down to the bottom of the freaking Dead Sea. That's my take on that bull crap. I'm glad that some of the babies were, you know, some of these, you know, kids were, were rescued 13, not quite nearly enough, but listen, 13 is better than zero. So I'll, I'll, I will celebrate that win. I will celebrate that win. Okay. Let's get into the reading of Matthew chapter eight. All right. So, uh, we're getting into the, where Jesus cleanses the lepers. Okay. So starting with verse one, and I'm reading out of the new King James version Bible today. So it says, when he can't, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him and behold, a leper came and whispered him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put on his hand and uh, put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing be cleaned. A cleansed immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him see that you tell no one but go your way show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them now when Jesus had entered Capernaum a centurion came up to him pleading with him saying Lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented and Jesus said to him I will come and heal him the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness, and there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fe fever left her and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled with which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying, 
he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to them, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first, or excuse me, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he had come to the other side, to the country of the... Uh, uh, boy, I'm going to mispronounce this word, and I apologize if I do. The uh, uh, Gergesons? Gergesons? There met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine that was feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they came out, or so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled. And then they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. And that is the reading of Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 34. That's a pretty powerful chapter, if you ask me. Because in these passages, uh, there's a obvious, profound message and a lesson that comes about uh, that teaches about compassion and faith, humility, commitment, and most importantly, the nature of Jesus's authority and power. Now, within this text of what we just read, there is a profound display of compassion, right, and and commitment, as well as you know, the, again, the you know nature of uh, the authority of Christ and the count the encounter in the very beginning with the leper highlights Jesus's willingness to heal and cleanse those that society rejected. And so what he does there is he teaches us about companion, uh, compassion, and he reminds us to see beyond someone's condition and extend care and acceptance. Now, sadly, in today's world, we live in a world where people judge the exterior of men and women. And if that exterior appears to be tainted or perceived as being unclean, then most people in general, they don't want anything to do or, you know, or have any type of association with people like that. It's pretty sad. And so the centurion, the faith of the centurion here serves here in this case too, as a very remarkable lesson because his trust in Jesus's authority without needing physical presence 
at his house, right? Showcases faith devoid of boundaries. Meaning he had so much faith. He did he knew he did not need Jesus in his own house. He knew that all Jesus would have to do is just say the word, Jesus, and I know my servant will be healed. And it teaches us that faith doesn't restrict by circumstances or our perceived worthiness by but thrives in absolute trust in our heavenly father that's that 100% submission of your will to god and then we got the story with peter's mother-in-law right being healed and her and in peter's mother-in-law being healed emphasizes again jesus's concern for individuals within our close circles and it shows how healing isn't just about physical restoration but enabling one to serve others i mean it's a very beautiful demonstration of compassion which leads to service if you ask me and then you had the healing of many in the evening right which demonstrates jesus's ability to address various afflictions and it teaches us about the depth of Jesus's healing power and the relevance in addressing multifaceted challenges at one time. I mean, we're talking about the living true God here. He can do anything and he could do work multiple miracles at one time. He's God. There's no line that you have to sit outside and wait in. You just have to wait for God's timing, but you're not waiting in line. That's not how that works. In this dialogue regarding the cost of the you know the discipleship also reminds us of the sacrifices involved in following Christ and it challenges us to reassess our commitments and priorities urging us to place you know following Jesus above worldly concerns see the incident with the storm right where they're on the sea and the sea is portraying uh, the sea portrays Jesus's mastery over nature. It teaches us again to trust God in the middle of chaos, emphasizing that in life storms. This is why we say at the beginning of the show, right? He is the captain of this great big ship. And he's steering this vessel through this crazy storm that we call life. This is what I'm referring to. It teaches us to trust in Christ and God during life's storms. And our faith in Christ can bring peace and calmness. That's why I say what I say, ladies and gentlemen, at the beginning of each show. And then you got the healing of the demon-possessed men, which unveils Christ's authority over spiritual forces. And it urges us at that moment, too, of reading it, to recognize the power of Jesus in liberating us from inner demons, fostering hope for transformation and renewal. The people's, the, the response of, you know, after all that, you know, the, it was after the healing it emphasized how people's reactions to Christ can vary. 
I mean, cause that was a pretty profound thing. You know, he's, he's casting out demons and the, and the demons basically ask him, if you're going to cast us out, at least let us go to those pigs. And so he did it. And then those pigs violently ran down the hill and jumped to their own death into the water below. And so that serves again, as a reminder that encountering Christ may evoke different, you know, diverse responses from people challenging us to reflect on our own reception of him. Because there were some people that were freaked out about it, and they they wanted him to leave. They're like, "You you, you got to go." <clears throat> but overall, you know, these narratives that we read here in Matthew eight—I mean, there was a lot packed into this chapter, so much so that it probably should have been broken up into sections. But you know, we like to read chapters on each show here. But you know, overall, though, these narratives again invite us to dive into the themes of faith and in compassion and sacrifice, uh, as well as uh, authority of Jesus and our responses to encountering Christ. That's the big thing, too. How are you going to respond to Jesus during with all this? And so these lessons, you know, it encourages us to reexamine our lives, reexamine our relationships with others and the beliefs in the light of those profound teachings. So. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick little break. I'm going to take a sip of water, and then we're going to get into the Missing 13th Amendment, Part 2. And so I'm going to just wet my whistle down for a quick minute, and uh, we will be right back. that sound that dubstep music i like that dubstep some people think that's noise and it is it it is noise i'm not gonna lie everybody's got different sounds everybody likes different things you know but anyway so uh what i'm gonna be reading is uh again now this is called the millennium report this is the millennium report and you can find it again at national-assembly.net and so right now just so we're on the same page. So if you go to www.national-assembly.net and then if you click on the link forums and blog and it's the third link um and then once you hover over that link um a little drop down menu will come down you want to hit national assembly forums and when you click on that it'll take you to another page and then you want to scroll down to a section that says general and off topic chat and in that section you're going to see at the top of that section his hardline edu spot but if you scroll down one two three four there's a section subsection called old historical documents you click on that and then one two three four five and then you go five down once you get to that page on old historical documents you'll see a link that says 13th Amendment PDFs and the like. And then you click on that. That's where I'm getting this Millennium Report in case you're wondering. 
So where we left off at was the titles of nobility. So it was like toward the tail end of page 13, talking about the titles of nobility. So I'm going to continue with this reading. So it continues to read, in seeking to rule the world and destroy the United States, bankers committed many crimes. Now, foremost among these crimes were fraud, conversion, and plain old theft. Now, to escape prosecution for their crimes, the bankers did the same thing any career criminal does. They hired and formed alliances with the best lawyers and judges money could buy. And these alliances originally forged in Europe, particularly in Great Britain, spread to the colonies and then later into the newly formed United States of America. Now, despite their criminal foundation, these alliances generated wealth and ultimately respectability. Now, like any modern member of organized crime, English bankers and lawyers wanted to be admired as legitimate businessmen. Now, as their criminal fortunes grew, so did their usefulness. So the British monarchy legitimized these thieves by granting them, quote, titles of nobility, legalized thievery. I mean, that's what they are. They're pirates. That's what these people are. They're pirates. Now, continuing, it says, historically, the British peerage system referred to knights as squires and to those who bore the knights' shields as esquires, as lances, shields, and physical violence gave way to the more citizen, uh, civilized means of theft, and the pen grew mightier and more profitable than the sword. And the clever wielder of those pens, meaning bankers and lawyers, uh, came to hold titles of nobility. And so the most common title was Esquire, and it's even still used today by some lawyers. Now you got what's called the International Bar Association. And so in colonial America... Attorneys trained attorneys, but most held no title of nobility or, quote, honor. Now, there was no requirement at that time that one be a lawyer to hold the position of district attorney, attorney general, or even a judge. And a citizen's counsel of choice was not restricted to a lawyer. And there were no state or national bar associations. Now, the only organization that certified lawyers was the International Bar Association, also known as the IBA. And it charter it was chartered by the King of England, headquartered in London, and closely associated with the international banking system. Now, lawyers admitted to the IBA received the rank Esquire, which again was a title of nobility. Esquire was the principal title of nobility, which the 13th Amendment sought to prohibit from the United States. So if you were an Esquire, you were not allowed to hold any public office at all. Why? Because the loyalty of Esquire lawyers was suspect. Bankers and lawyers with an Esquire behind their name were agents of the monarchy, members of an organization whose principal purposes were political, not economic, and regarded with the same wariness that some people today reserve for members of the KGB or the CIA. Now, Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution sought to prohibit the International Bar Association or any other agency that granted titles of nobility from operating in America. But, but the Constitution neglected to specify a penalty so that the prohibition was ignored and agents of the monarchy continued to infiltrate and influence the government as in J, the Jay Treaty and the U.S. Bank Charter incidents. 
And this is that infiltration from within, ladies and gentlemen. So continuing, it says, therefore, a title of nobility amendment that specified a penalty, meaning a loss of citizenship, which means you were not able to hold your public office seat anymore or your appointment if you were a judge. But your loss of citizenship was proposed in 1789 and again in 1810. Now, the meaning of the amendment is seen in its intent to prohibit persons having titles of nobility and loyalties to foreign governments and bankers from voting, holding public office, or using their skills to subvert the government. That's right. Uh, like Destry was saying right here in the chat, it's the Great American Experiment. And there is a book on that that you can read also found at national-assembly.net. Good book. Check it out. I think I read bits and pieces of it on the air not that long ago or a while ago. But anyway, then you get into the section called Honor. Now, the Missing Amendment, the Missing Amendment is referred to, again, as the Title of Nobility Amendment. But the second prohibition against honor may be more significant. So according to David Hodge and Tom Dunn and Webster's Dictionary, the archaic definition of honor as used when the 13th Amendment was ratified meant anyone obtaining or having an advantage or privilege over another. Oh, you mean kind of like white privilege? Oh, did I go there? I'm sorry. But let me repeat that. It meant um, so again, honor was meaning obtaining or having an advantage or privilege over another. And so a contemporary example of an honor granted to only a few Americans is the privilege of being a judge. A judge. Lawyers can be judges and exercise the attendant privileges and powers. Non-lawyers cannot. And yeah, that's why Destry was saying right here, that's why punishment was not in the Constitution. And he emphasizes the word con, the Constitution, because it was a big con. But by prohibiting honors, the missing amendment prohibits any advantage or privilege that would grant some citizens as unequal opportunity to achieve or exercise political power. And therefore, the second meaning and intent of the 13th Amendment was to ensure political equality among all American citizens by prohibiting anyone, even government officials, from claiming or exercising a special privilege or power, also known as an honor, over other citizens. And if this interpretation is correct, honor would be the key concept in the 13th Amendment. Why? Because while titles of nobility may no longer apply in today's political system, the concept of honor, quote unquote, remains relevant. So, for example, anyone who had a specific immunity from lawsuits which were not afforded to all citizens would be enjoying a separate privilege and honor and would be therefore forfeit his right to vote or hold for public office. Oh, you mean like the rules for thee and not for me kind of, you know, uh, there's a set of rules for all of us and then a specific set of rules for the elite, uh, like Hillary Clinton. Like that's what this is talking about. There is a certain set of laws for us and a very limited set of laws for them, which is pretty much non-existent. They all cover their own you-know-whats. And think of the immunities from lawsuits that U.S. judges, lawyers, and politicians and bureaucrats currently enjoy. So as an example, 
as another example. Think of all the special interest groups, right? Legislation that the U.S. government passes, special interests are simply euphemisms for special privileges or honors. What if, okay, implications, implications if restored? What if, okay, what if the missing 13th Amendment was to be restored? Well, special interest and immunities might be rendered unconstitutional. I don't know if I would say might. I would say it more than likely would be rendered unconstitutional. And the prohibition, the pro, uh, blah, 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 I can't even talk. The prohibition against honors, privileges, would compel the entire government to operate under the same laws as citizens of the nation of this nation. So without their current personal immunities, U.S. judges and IRS agents would be unable to abuse common citizens without fear or legal liability. Now, if this 13th Amendment were restored, then the entire U.S. government would have to conduct itself according to the same standards of decency, respect, law, and liability as the rest of the nation. And if this amendment and the term honor were applied today, U.S. government's ability to systematically coerce and abuse the public would all be but eliminated. That's right. That's absolutely right. Imagine this. A government without special privileges or immunities. How could we describe that? It would almost be like a government of the people, by the people. And what's that last part? Oh, yeah. For the people. Imagine a government whose members were truly accountable to the public. A government that could not systematically exploit its own people. It's unheard of. It's damn near never even really been done before. Not even in the entire history of the world. But bear in mind that Senator George Mitchell of Maine and the U.S. National Archives concede this 13th Amendment was proposed by Congress in 1810. However, they explain that there were 17 states with when Congress proposed the title of nobility amendment. Here's that number, 17 again. 17. And that ratification required the 13 states, but since only 12 states supported the amendment, it was not ratified. And the government printing offices agrees that it currently prints copies of the Constitution of the United States, which include the title of nobility amendment as proposed, but unratified. Yeah, I agree with what Destry said. A government so small, right? So small that many people would forget it, it exists. I like that imagination. That would be great. Now, even if this 13th Amendment were never ratified, even if Dodge and Dunn's research or reasoning is flawed or incomplete, it would still be an extraordinary story. Can you imagine? Can you understand how close the U.S. came to having a political paradise right here on Earth? Do you really realize what an extraordinary gift our forebearers tried to bequeath us with, right? And how close we came. One vote, one state's vote. 
Now, the federal government concedes that 12 states voted to ratify this amendment between 1810 and 1812, but they argue that the ratification required 13 states so that the amendment lays stillborn in history, unratified for lack of just one more state support. One vote. David Dodge, however, says one more state did ratify, and he claims he has the evidence to prove it. So this next section is called Paradise Loss or Ratification Found. I think I'll read this next section, and then we'll end this in prayer. Let me see how long this section is. Oh, boy, it's a pretty long section. Boy, do I even want to go here? It's a pretty long section. All right, I think I'll do it. I got to go find my place again. There we go. Oh, wait, 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 wait. There we go. So in 1789, the House of Representatives compiled a list of possible constitutional amendments, some of which would ultimately become our Bill of Rights. And the House proposed 17. The Senate reduced the list to 12. And during this process, the Senator uh, Tristrain Adalton of Massachusetts proposed an amendment seeking to prohibit and provide a penalty for an American accepting a title of nobility, um, RG46 records of the U.S. Senate. And although it wasn't passed, this was the first time a title of nobility amendment was proposed. Now, 20 years later, in January of 1810, Senator Reed proposed another title of nobility amendment in the history of Congress proceedings of the Senate, uh, page 529 through 530 on April 27, 1810. The Senate voted to pass the 13th Amendment by a vote of 26 to 1. So the House resolved in the affirmative 87 to 3, and the following resolve was sent to the states for ratification. Again, this is what it says. If any citizen of the United States shall accept, claim, receive, or retain any title of nobility or honor, or shall without the consent of Congress accept and retain any present pension, uh, office, or emolument of any kind, whatever, from an emperor, any emperor, king, prince, or foreign power, such person shall cease to be a citizen of the United States and shall be incapable of holding any office of trust or profit under them or either of them. And so the Constitution requires three quarters of the states to ratify a proposed amendment. Therefore, it may be added to the Constitution. Now, where did we hear that whole three quarters? We needed three quarters, three quarters, three quarters. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what we need here in the assembly. We need three quarters of our states. We need 38 of the 50 states. That's, again, three quarters. We need three quarters, folks. Again, the Constitution requires three quarters of the states to ratify a proposed amendment before it may be added to the Constitution. And when Congress proposed the title of nobility amendment in 1810, there were states. 13 of which would have to ratify for the amendment to be adopted. And so according to the National Archives, the following is a list of the 12 states that ratified and their dates of ratification. So there is Maryland, Kentucky, Ohio, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Vermont, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire. New Hampshire was the last one, December 10th of 1812. Now, before a 13th state could ratify, the War of 1812 broke out with England, and by the time this war ended in 1814, the British had burned the capital down. And so the Library of Congress and most of the records of the 38 years of government, whether there was a connection between the proposed title of nobility amendment and the War of 1812, is not known. But however, the momentum to ratify the proposed amendment was lost in the tumult of the war. Sad. Sad. 
Then four years later, on December 31st of 1817, the House of Representatives resolved that President Monroe inquire into the status of this amendment. Now, in a late letter dated February 6th of 1818, President Monroe reported to the House that the Secretary of State Adams had written to the governors of Virginia, now South Carolina and Connecticut, to tell them that the proposed amendment had been ratified by 12 states and rejected by two, New York and Rhode Island. I knew I never liked New York for a reason. That's probably one of them. And they asked the governors to notify him of their legislature's opinion. Now you had House Document Number 76. Now this and other letters written by the President and the Secretary of State during the month of February 1818 note only that the proposed amendment had not yet been ratified. However, these letters would later become crucial because in the absence of additional information, they would be interpreted to mean the amendment was never ratified. And then you get on uh, February 28th of 1818, the Secretary of State Adams reported the rejection of the amendment by South Carolina, House Document Number 129, and there were no Uh, There are no further entries regarding the ratification of the 13th Amendment in the journals of Congress. Now, whether Virginia ratified is neither confirmed nor denied. And I see Nancy put in here, Virginia, dot, dot, dot. It was not neither confirmed nor denied. But likewise, a search through the executive papers of Governor Preston of Virginia does not reveal any correspondence from Secretary of State Adams. However, there is a journal entry in the Virginia House that the governor presented in uh, presented the House with an official letter and documents from Washington within a time frame that conceivably includes receipts of Adams' letter. Now, again, no evidence of ratification, none of denial. However, March 10th of 1819, the Virginia legislature passed an act number tw- uh, 280. In the Virginia Archives of Richmond, miscellaneous file, page 299, from microfilm, or for microfilm, excuse me. And and it says, Be it enacted by the General Assembly that there shall be published an edition of the laws of this commonwealth in which shall be contained the following matters, that is to say, the Constitution of the United States and the amendments thereto. Now, this act was the specific legislated instructions on what was, by law, to be included in the republication, a special edition of the Virginia Civil Code. There's that code. And the Virginia legislature had already agreed that all acts were to go into effect on the same day. Now, the day that the act to be uh, to republish the Civil Code was enacted, therefore the 13th Amendment's official date of ratification would be the date of republication of the Virginia Civil Code, March 12, 1819. And then you had the delegate, you know, the delegates knew that Virginia was the last of the 13 states that were necessary for the ratification of the 13th Amendment. So they also knew that there were powerful forces allied against this ratification. So they took extraordinary measures to make sure that it was published in sufficient quantity. There are 4,000 copies that were ordered, almost triple their usual order, and it was instructed that the printer send a copy to President James Monroe as well as James Madison and Thomas Jefferson. Now, the printer, Thomas Ritchie, was bonded, and he was required to be extremely accurate in his research and his printing, or he would forfeit his bond. So there was a lot riding on the line for him. He couldn't mess that up. And so in this fashion, Virginia announced the ratification. Now, by uh, publication, 
and dissemination of the 13th Amendment of the Constitution. There is a question as to whether Virginia either ever formally notified the Secretary of State that they had even ratified this 13th Amendment, because some have argued that because such notification was not received or at least not recorded, the amendment was therefore not legally ratified. However, printing by a legislature is prima facie evidence of ratification. So further, there is no constitutional requirement that the Secretary of State or anyone else be officially notified to complete the ratification process. And so the Constitution only requires that three-fourths of the states ratify for the for an amendment to be added to the Constitution. Now, if three-quarters of the states ratify, the amendment is passed, period. That's it. Case closed. Again, why do you think we need three-quarters of our states, ladies and gentlemen, to reassemble our states? Because when we get 38 states, that's when we can begin to flex our muscles. I don't know how much more I need to say this. The Constitution is otherwise silent on what procedures should be used to announce, confirm, or communicate the ratification of amendments. Yeah, Oscar says it right, right here. Publishing with no rebuttal. Sounds familiar. That's right. Publishing with no rebuttal. But they want to throw a big stink, say, nope, 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 nope. That's not legit. Yeah, well, you didn't really rebut it properly, did you? And knowing that they were the last state that was necessary to ratify the amendment, the Virginians had every right to announce their own and the nation, uh, the nation's ratification of the amendment by publishing it on a special edition of the constitution. And so they did. And word of Virginia, word of Virginia's 1819 ratification spread throughout the state and both Rhode Island and Kentucky published the new amendment in 1822. Ohio first published it in 1824. Maine ordered 10,000 copies of the Constitution with the 13th Amendment to be printed for use in the schools in 1825. And again in 1831 for the census edition, Indiana revised laws of 1831 published the 13th article on, the, on page 20. Uh, the Northwestern Territories published in 1833, Ohio published in 1831 and 1833, then came the Wisconsin Territory in 1839, Iowa Territory in 1843, Ohio again in 1848, Kansas, uh, Kansas statutes in 1855, the Nebraska Territory six times in a row from 1855 to 1860, and so far David Dodge has identified 11 different states and territories that printed the amendment in 20 separate publications over 41 years and more editions, including this 13th Amendment, are sure to be discovered. Clearly, Dodge is on to something. That's right. Silence is acquiescence. You know, it's so funny. They want to destroy this thing so bad, right? Kind of like they wanted to destroy the uh, 2000-25 war manual or, uh, you know, 2000-, you know, field training manual 2000-25, how to restore a nation from a democracy back to a republic. See, these are the types of things they don't want the American public to know about, which is why they try everything they do in their power to destroy it and burn it down, which is why probably D.C. got burnt down in 1812. Now, you might be able to convince some of the people or maybe even all of them for a little while, but that this 13th Amendment was never ratified. And maybe you can show them that 
the 10 legislatures which ordered it published 18 times were we've discovered so far consisted of ignorant politicians who don't know their amendments from their uh articles if you will and you might even be able to convince the public that our u.s forefathers never meant to outlaw public servants who pushed people around accepted bribes or special favors to look the other way maybe but before you do there's a lot of evidence an awful lot of evidence to be explained and i think we'll stop right there as we uh have gone over an hour we're at an hour and eight minutes and so the next section we're going to get into it's called the amendment disappears so we're going to get into that on the next show but before we get into the prayer, there is a audio piece I do want to play that I think all of you should hear. A uh, little inspiration. I got a couple audio pieces, each a little over a minute long. First audio piece. Things you must quit to get closer to God. One, worrying. Worry is a form of worship to the devil. God instructs us to cast our worries onto him and be anxious for nothing. Give your concerns to God and let him bear the weight of your worries. Two, speaking word curses over your life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. What you speak, you become. Cease speaking negatively over yourself. Instead, start declaring God's word over your life, aligning your self-perception with his perspective. 3. Allowing your fears to control you. The devil is a deceiver. God does not instill a spirit of fear in you. The enemy plants fears and doubts to hinder you from becoming who God has called you to be. Remember, God walks before you and is always with you, so there's no reason to fear. 4. People-pleasing Stop making decisions based on what others will think about you. When you walk in God's path, you might not always be liked because your decisions may oppose popular opinions. Instead, focus on pleasing God. Remember, the journey to God often involves letting go of these hindrances. May your path be blessed. Amen. I tell you, that was a really good uh, piece of advice there. I like that a lot, a lot. You got to stop worrying about what other people think. Just stop being a people pleaser and be a God pleaser. Okay. I absolutely love that advice. That's advice. I think a lot of people really need to hear. Now, here's one more audio piece that I, that I want to play here for you that I think is really relevant. God is saying something to you right now. My child. Stop stressing. I know what you are going through. I know you are tired with all the things that you are facing right now. And I know the heaviness in your heart. I won't allow anything to destroy you. Your breakthrough is coming. Don't be discouraged. So please, my child, get some rest tonight. And know that I am already at work. I am turning everything around for you. I have already made a way. I will get you through this, just have faith in me. I love you so much, my child. Comment, amen, if you agree. Amen. And share this with some friends and family members. Amen on that. Today. Stop. These are two videos that I saw that I think people needed to hear i heard it and i was like wow i think we need to play this today because i know there's a lot of people that need to hear this there's a lot of people that are hurting there's a lot of people that are scared there's a lot of people 
that are just so riddled with anxiety and stress and fear. There's a reason why God has it in his Bible 365 plus times, depending on the version of the Bible you have. Fear not. Do not fear. Fear is a liar. Fear is a mechanism used by the devil. And as, as the first video stated, the devil is a deceiver. Do not let him deceive you into being riddled with worry, riddled with stress. I know it's easy to do. Trust me. I'm right there alongside with every one of you. But when you engulf yourself in reading the Gospels and reading the Bible at least four times a week minimum, four times, preferably more. But if you don't even do that, at least if nothing else, come to this podcast and listen to the one chapter a day that we read. My reading of capabilities might not be top-notch, but you know what? At least you're getting it. If you're too busy to sit down and read, which I don't think you should ever be too busy for God, but 15 minutes a day. What did I have always said since the beginning of this podcast? That's why the, we had a segment called 1% with him. 1% of a 24-hour period, a 24-hour day, is roughly 15 minutes. Spend 15 minutes with your Lord and Savior. Read the Bible. Spend a little time in prayer. Ask Jesus to be in your heart. I promise you guys, look, I'm not what you would call the most motivational or inspiring speaker there is out there. And, and there's a lot of polishing up I'm sure I need to do. But if there's one thing I could tell you 100% for certain, you ask Jesus to be in your heart, you are going to be fine. Lay your worries and your stresses and your burdens on God and let it go and let God take over. You are doing okay. You are doing okay. We are all doing okay. Yes, we might get into some serious storms in the near future. We might be getting into some serious, uncertain circumstances in the future. And it might get a little bumpy. I don't know exactly what the heck we got in store ahead just around the corner. We're coming up on four years since the COVID pandemic started taking root and destroyed this world and shut it down. I'm hoping 2024 doesn't say, here, hold my beer 2020 and watch what I do this time. I'm hoping that's not the case, but I have a funny feeling we're going to see some you know, crazy chaos. But remember, do not fear. Do not fear. God has this, but you have to trust him. Let's pray. And I appreciate that, Leslie Liberty. I appreciate all the comments that you guys have just put in here. I really appreciate that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We ask for your forgiveness. We repent of our sins, not just individually, but also collectively as a nation. We ask that you heal our land and to be at our side every step of the way. We are trying our best to grow into the people you need us to be. Thankfully, you don't call the qualified. 
We just ask that you show us a little grace and you keep guiding us on the path, even when it gets dark. Show us the way. Shine that light. Be that beacon of light. We'll follow it. Guide our every thought. Guide our every word and our every action. And let it be all for the glory of you. Let our actions serve as an example to those that are around us. Let our actions back up our words so that we might encourage other people to live life the way you want them to live. And that is to serve you, God, and to serve their fellow brothers and sisters. And Rietta adds to the prayer, Father, we know that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. And you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a, of a sound mind. You have given the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. That is a great prayer, Rietta. Love that prayer. And uh, as an extra added prayer, we also pray, and I'm glad my wife added this, my beautiful, beautiful wife. We also pray for all the restless souls to find peace. Absolutely. Those with fears, be guided in your grace and love. And I want to add just one more little extra thing before we tie this prayer up with a ribbon. Uh, Anybody out there that anybody out there that is dealing with marital issues, uh, relationship issues, we pray that God works in those relationships and in those marriages so families don't break up because we know Satan is doing his best to stir the pot. So we pray for all those people as well. And we pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was a good prayer. I like that, Rietta. That was a good addition to the prayer. I like that prayer. See, Rietta, ladies and gentlemen, in case some of you don't know who Rietta is and you're new to the show and you're new to the download, she is part of the California General General Assembly. Yes, the rightful, uh, lawful California General General Assembly. But she is a prayer warrior. She is a prayer warrior. And I love when she adds prayers to the show. I always love reading them. Um, she is excellent with her words. and I And I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. And she says, it's all scripture. And I know it is, but you know what, though? She is a prayer warrior. And so anyways, I hope you you all have a great day, great night. And remember, and I'll post those videos, those those audio clips that I just played. Um, they're very inspiring. But don't, don't, let, don't let fear take you over, okay? Um, enjoy the world. I was thinking about this, and I'll, I'll end on this little short story. When I was driving my truck today, I was thinking about it today because I, I'm, I'm just like you guys. I'm not infallible, right? Like I'm, I'm very um, – I can fall subject to the same, the same crap that you guys do, right? Worry, sometimes stress, right? Stuff like that. <clears throat> and I've noticed that when I read my Bible in my truck – I've noticed the days that I do and the days that I don't, the days that I don't is when I'm riddled with anxiety and stress and I'm usually in a bad mood. I'll tell you the guys this, uh, let me share a little story with you and then we'll, we'll hang it up and I'll play the outro music. The other day, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I'm going to admit this. I'm going to, I'm going to tell this story. 
So yesterday, um, normally when something happens on the road, as you all know, I'm a truck driver, I haul gas. Typically, if somebody does something stupid in front of me, I generally back off. I, you know, slow down. I let the situation drive away from me. Well, there was a situation I was loaded with my trailer and I was rolling, you know, northbound on uh, 131 with a load of ethanol. And I was creeping up this hill and there was a car merging on the highway. So I got into the passing lane because it's a two-way highway both ways. And I let the car on and I was gain- you know, in front of that car was a semi, another over-the-road truck. So I was gaining on him. And so I'm like, well, I'm already in the passing lane. I'll just stay over here. And so I'm just chugging along, chugging along, chugging along. I'm gaining on him and I'm passing him. It's slow, but you know, it's a turtle race, but I'm gaining on him and I'm passing him and he's slowing down. He must've been doing 63, 64 miles an hour. My truck is governed at about 69 and my truck just about, you know, the tail end of my trailer was just about clearing the front of his tractor. And then just out of nowhere, this guy just, just blows my doors off and leaves me hanging in the passing lane and just blows my doors off and then passes me in the slow lane. And I'm like, I got my hands up looking at him as he's going by. I'm like, really? Like, dude, where was the speed a while ago? How did I catch up to you? And now you want to find your accelerator? So I get back in the, uh, I get back in the slow lane and I'm making a point here. This was a day that I did not read my Bible at all. This was yesterday, by the way, did not read my Bible. And of course it was my birthday of all days, of course, (laughs) but I didn't read my Bible yesterday at all because it was just one of those days. Um, and because I didn't do a podcast, I didn't read then. So literally all day yesterday, no Bible reading. So this, this occurred, I get back in the passing lane and I normally drive with my CB radio off and I'm looking at the tail end of this guy's trailer and it's, it's rolling away. So I click on the CB, I turn it on and I was like, that was a real move. You hole. I'm not going to say the actual words, but I was very mad. I was very mad. And then he comes back on. He goes, well, what did you effing expect me to do? Slow down with your loaded, you know what, you know, get up this hill and and let you get ahead of me and blah, 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 blah. F no. I'm, you know, you know, just started going on and on. And I said, dude, there is a thing called common courtesy. Why don't you figure out where your accelerator is? Because I caught up to you in a matter of no time. Now, all of a sudden you want to all of a sudden be Billy Big Rigger and start mashing on it and do the speed limit. I said, that was a pretty sour move, man. That was a BS move. And then his next response was, and, and, and it never fails. He's like, oh, driver, I've been out here since the 1980s. I wouldn't know nothing about common courtesy. He goes, you're probably one of those drivers that's fresh out of, out of truck driving school. I said, you know what, man? I said, you don't even know anything about me. I said, but let me tell you something. I said, there's a lot of guys that I know that is fresh out of truck driving school that exhibits and displays more per- professionalism and courtesy on the road than your old ass. I said, you suck at life. And then I turned off my radio. Now, in the moment, In the moment, that felt pretty good. 
But then 10, 12, 15 minutes went by. And then I started feeling bad. I was like, oh. And then I, then, then I really started feeling bad. Then I asked God, I said, God, I said, I, I said, I, I, I know what I did was not right. That was not right. That was not nice. That wasn't what you wanted me to do. I said, I know that. I said, I'm so, so sorry. Like I was cringing at myself. And I said, I ask, I'm, I'm begging for your forgiveness. Please be in my heart. That was not a Christ thing to do. I said, I shouldn't have said he sucked at life and, and called him names. I said, that was not nice. Even though he was nasty at me, but that didn't, that didn't matter. That didn't matter. And I had a, I had a moment. I had a moment and I allowed Satan to allow my anger to get stirred up. And I think a big part of it was because I was so far away from God yesterday because, again, didn't read anything out of the Bible at all yesterday. It was a day that I literally did not read anything. I prayed, yeah, a little bit, but I didn't read what I normally read. And I felt bad. So anyway, you know, it's just like I said, I guess the whole point of that story is Satan's going to try to infiltrate your mind. Satan's going to always try to get you to fall and fumble. He wants you to be like him. Don't fall for his nonsense. Draw near God. Ask Christ to be in your heart. You will be just fine. And don't think that you're not going to have a day or two where you're going to fail. It happens to the best of us. And with that, I hope you all have a great night, great day, wherever you're at in the world. God bless, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, ladies and gentlemen. We are firm. We are steadfast. And we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times. And it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show.
Don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Us here at his, his heart line. We'll, we'll see you back, back here next, next time. time.